0: faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up.
1: During that walk with her was reminding her how precious she is to us as her parents, how wonderfully made she is, how she's unique and beautiful, and how she's been given amazing talents and gifts and skills, and that, you know, she's a wonderful human being. Do you know what my daughter said to me? She said, Mum, you have to say that because you're my parent. And so that truth, didn't land with her, because it was me as her parent saying that. And that's painful to hear as a parent, that they don't believe you when you say those things because they think you're lying because you have to say it because you're their parent.
2: Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast. My name is Ed. I'm the Director of Faith in Kids. And we're going to do today what we do with every episode of this, which is walking parents through the normal business of life, seeing how Christ shines into it, how he guides us in it. And today we are looking at a topic that feels a little harder to handle. We're looking in this series on identity of what it means to say of our children, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. What are the differences? How do we do it differently? And I'm delighted to have two guests with me who are going to talk about this with such great wisdom, more than I could ever manage. Matt, will you just tell us a bit about where you've come from today, who's at home, what you normally do, that sort of thing?
3: Morning, Ed. Stunned you think I've got that much wisdom. But yes, uh, I'm vicar at Christchurch Mayfair. One way or another, I've been there 20-odd years. We don't live in Mayfair. Uh, Who does that? But we're just the other side of the river. And... um, We now have one son who's uh, 17, upper sixth. We had a little girl for a while. We lost her a number of years ago, but
2: that's us. Thanks, Matt. Jen, thank you very much for joining us. Jen, will you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Thanks, Ed. I'm Jen. Oh, Long history would be I grew up in Kent, went to university in Reading, qualified as a lawyer. During that time working in the city, I married Jono. I had two of my three girls while I was working in the city and went back each time. So uh, we have Grace. She's 20, soon to be 21. Izzy, who is 18. And when I got pregnant with Iona, at that point, I stopped working in the city and worked full time in the home. And Iona is now 15. So two are about to leave the nest and one is going to be home alone and very scared of being with her parents and getting their full attention. Uh, We also have a dog, which lots of people I know got uh, during lockdown. And she, I suppose, is the fourth crazy daughter of the family, providing much joy.
2: Jen, as as you've now... (laughs) <laughs> look let, let's claim that once your children reach 22 you no longer have to parent them but we, we all exactly let's not say it Jen let's not say it give us hope Jen in these uh, years of experience is there a moment you remember of what it means to raise a daughter particularly is there a story that stands out
1: I think daughters like to have role models don't they and so I can remember wanting to read my children at bedtime Pilgrim's Progress and they were not getting into it at all. They didn't like it. And I don't think that was down to John Bunyan particularly. But at the time, they had a wonderful Sunday school teacher called Chrissy. And so we turned Christian from being a male pilgrim into being a female pilgrim. Chrissy, we turned Christian into Chrissy. And the girls suddenly enjoyed it because they had a female role model in that story to be engaged with. So I don't, that's probably not the kind of question you were Jen, asking me. I, I actually, actually, I was
2: just thinking that is the perfect story to oh, tell okay. to help us immediately just understand we we have a gender.
1: Yeah.
2: It, it so matters. they weren't
1: connecting with Christian, but once I on the hoof turned Christian into Chrissy and made her adventure their story, that really helped them get into it.
2: Thanks, Jen, so much. Matt, can you possibly have a story that good? No.
3: <laughs> I, I think one of the most memorable thing I think of when our son was much younger, was, uh, he would have been about seven. So we just had a little girl and I think this prompted some question in his head. I remember at breakfast one day, we all sat round, and so he said, Dad, what is a man? <laughs> what does it mean to be a man and not a woman? At which point my wife just roared with laughter and said are you not embarrassed that your son has to ask you that question? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think he was saying, what is a man? Because I ain't going to learn it around here. (laughs) And I think, honestly, I think, I'm not sure where I'd have heard that, but I think the, the answer I gave, I can remember actually, God has made men strong to protect. And I now, having thought much harder about it, think that was... A very good answer. <laughs> you still think that? I still think it's a really good answer. Thanks, Matt. And We can talk lots about
2: that if you want. Well, we are. Uh, Matt, I'll be honest. The two of you needed a lot of encouragement. And if I wasn't your friends, I feel confident both of you would have said no to doing this. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. You've cashed in all your friendship <laughs> <Yeah>. tokens now.
2: <laughs> we are grateful you're doing this. Matt. What makes you reluctant to talk about this? What makes this a difficult topic to talk about?
3: Yes, it's difficult because you don't know quite where people are coming from. The, the culture is so confused. I mean, so confused without drifting into debates about gender, transgender. Recently, I was teaching in this sort of topic and I realised there wasn't a single child over the age of 11 at our church, who's in church, Christian parents, who didn't say, yeah, i got someone in my class who's identifying as... The opposing gender, so this is the confusion. I think is is part of it. Secondly, people are so. As soon as you say men and women are different, people get, get go ballistic. Now, I think as Christians, we want to say men and women are different and equal. <laughs> Difference doesn't mean not equal, and it's sort of weird because we get then lots of other arenas. You can I could say to you, is a man from China different? from a man from Burundi. Well, yeah, different skin colours and different upbringing and different sort of levels of income probably. Okay. So which one's superior? Oh, how dare you? You mustn't say that. No. Okay. So you're happy that they're different, but equal. Of course we insist upon it. Men and women are different, but equal. How, what? how dare you? But hold on. You just said that. And there's this sort of complete disconnect that people, when it comes to sex, you almost aren't allowed to say men and women are different. But I just—we just have to insist. Difference doesn't mean unequal; it just means different. But getting just the way the culture is, getting our heads around that is is quite hard. I think the other thing is when you talk about men and women, and, and perhaps we're drifting—I don't know how far we get—but drifting to slightly different roles that the Bible would outline. A lot of people have different experiences personally and in their churches, and some of those have been really bad experiences. So you. You're talking to people without knowing their history. And that's why I find this hard. I want to look someone in the eye. I want to ask them where they're coming from, what's shaped them. And then I know how to talk to them. But in isolation, a podcast, and you don't know who's listening, I, just, is, I think I'm nervous that people mishear. Okay.
2: And uh, we, I don't think I'm, I'm ruining the mystique of a podcast say, we had a conversation before we hit record. <gasps> I know, imagine it. And we were clearly discussing what we say in every single episode of this, that the particular blessing of being a parent is you are the world's expert on your own child. So as ever on this topic, you do get to say, oh no, hang on. Well, on average, that may be true. My son is like this or my daughter is like this. And I hope there's a constant commentary happening in your head as you listen to this podcast of that bit's helpful. And that is exactly what I need to hear for my daughter. But for my son, that's not the case. And and we just applaud that and say, the Lord has you. And we hope some of this is wise and helpful. And, and some of it won't apply to your children. And we celebrate that. Jen, we're going to introduce this topic in a minute. But I, I feel like Perhaps some listeners come to this feeling like to be a woman, to be a girl in church is an inherent disadvantage. Uh, you grew up not as a Christian. You, could, you just, could you just give a flavour of what has been your experience of being a mother of three daughters in church? You know, has, has that been a happy story or do you have to sort of dig your fingernails into your leg most Sundays or in most conversations?
1: Hmm. I think where I'm speaking from now is probably as a mother of older girls rather than the younger girls, because that's where the conversation kind of happens. Speaking for myself, looking back 20-something years, I think when I was growing in maturity as a Christian, the idea of male leadership in church and uh, the traditional kind of roles that I perceived I was being taught about, male and female, I really riled against and found offensive. But over time, and now that we, I didn't talk about it in the introduction, but actually seven years ago, eight years ago, I was asked to go on the staff at the church that uh, we attend. And so now my role has been as women's ministry facilitator. So I've had to think a lot more about these things. But over that 20 year period, I think I've begun to see and believe And trust that the things Matt was talking about earlier on, God making men and women equal in dignity and value but different, has just helped me to understand how precious I am as a woman and what I bring to the party, if you like, because I am deliberately made different in my home, in my work setting, in church, all of those environments. God has, because he's created me different from the other people in that team, given me a different insight and a different perspective that I can speak into and help other people, partly because of being a woman. And so to compete with a man and want to be him, well, that I'm now content and actually happy that I'm not the man. I am doing something different that is equal in value and actually is entirely necessary because it isn't good for man to be alone, he needs the woman. And so I think that's part of my language, that's what I believe, that's what I think my children are seeing. When we've had conversations about this, I think they've come home from perhaps youth where they've maybe heard that feminism is bad and that's led to a conversation at home. I don't think they necessarily heard properly what was being taught but that's what they came home with. And we've talked about how nuanced feminism is. And actually, there's loads of different waves of feminism, aren't there? And I don't, I can't claim to be a particular expert on all of them. But at the heart, the belief that women should be given equal dignity and value and equal pay for equal work and all the rest, that, that kind of feminism is brilliant. That is biblical feminism. But the um, kind of uh, feminism that we, you were talking about earlier on uh, – of you know one person being um degraded uh at the expense of the other, feminists saying we don't need men well that's that that's equally that's offensive because of us being made different and equal but needing one another and uh, so the kind of air that the girls are breathing in potentially of women don't need men anymore that's where I have to speak into my teenage girls uh environment because that's what they're hearing um and so to hear in church feminism is bad that that's wrong but to hear also that um feminism is the be all and end all is equally bad so you've got to sit somewhere in the middle and speak into that
2: thanks jen matt could you help us first of all just what would be the the critical bullet points of sex in the Bible? And uh, I, I guess you could move into also what are the trends you see in the Bible?
3: Yes, I think, thinking about this recently, uh, is it arbitrary by the time you get to Ephesians 5 that the husband and wives are given different commands? Husbands love, wives submit. I mean, is that is that arbitrary? Is that a left field or whatever you make of 1 Timothy 2 and into chapter 5 that within church there are differences between men and women? Is that arbitrary I'd say by the time if you read the Old Testament, there's a fittingness to that. We should probably expect that. because it starts off in Genesis, Genesis one, men and women, uh, male and female, he created them equal, no doubt about that. But even in Genesis one, you get this idea of complementary pairs. so that the man and the woman come on, come after heaven and earth, light and darkness, day and night, sea, dry land. They're the climax. So you can't have one without the other. In, uh, in chapter one of Genesis, straight away. Oh, okay, these things go together and one without the other makes no sense. That's what we're told. Genesis 2 gives you a bit more detail between men and women, how they're made. They're made differently. Man made from the earth, woman made from the man. When they're made, he's made first. She's made second. Where they're made, he's made in the garden. She's made outside the garden. Crucially, Genesis 2, he's given responsibility for the garden to work it And to keep it, come back to those. If you want those things, are pretty inherent to being a male, I think. And he's given responsibility for keeping God's law. Don't eat from that fruit of that tree. And then the woman comes along. He has given this primary responsibility. Also in Genesis 2, he's given the responsibility for forming the new family. He takes the lead, leaving his... So straight away, okay, there's something about responsibility in in Genesis chapter 2. There's something about he's drawn from the earth. She's drawn from him. Genesis 3, get a bit more detail. When they're cursed, what is cursed? For the man, it's his labour of the land. For the woman, it's childbirth, where the curse falls. So these differences, they start to emerge. And then I think you just you see them played out throughout the rest of the Old Testament uh, in different ways and into the New Testament. So the, some of the really basic things. And I think one of the most helpful ways to think about it, actually, from... When they're born, little boys, they are potential fathers. And little girls are potential mothers. Not everyone will literally go on to be. But even in the New Testament, one of Paul's favourite words for describing his relationship with others is, I'm a father to you. Now, there you have a man, single, never married, never had any kids of his own, but he wants to be a father in how he relates to them. There's something about fathering. And there's something about mothering. You need to drop me, I'm just going to keep on going. But um, for one of the things, that when I think, think about this, one of the most interesting passages I've found is actually 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Paul describes his relationship with uh, the Thessalonian church. He so says two things, okay? But he says, I've been like a father to you and a mother to you. Now, two things on that. He says, I've been like a father to you, exhorting encouraging come on sort of you need to sort
2: this out i always picture this as like going on a long walk the language paul uses here is like your kids are complaining they're dragging at the back and you're saying come on we're gonna get to the end that's it and he's happy to say that's a fathering type thing and he
3: also says i've nurtured you like a mother so he's happy that's a mothering type thing so if we take the Bible seriously, it's it's more typical of fathers to exhort, more typical of mothers to nurture. And yet here's the second thing, the key thing here. He says, I've done both.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So we must be able to say there are some more fatherly type things and male things, more motherly type things, female things, but let's not caricature, because any balanced Christian is going to have elements of both, but men are going to lean one way and women are going to lean the other way, but please don't push them to their extremes because the extreme man and the extreme woman, none of us want to hang out with.
2: (laughs) I I listened to this sermon, Matt. One of my favorite moments was when you, you took us to the old Testament to the place where God describes himself as a nursing mother with a, a baby on his knee, like a mother that, ultimate image of nurturing caring god is totally happy that's him and then he also describes himself as the mother bear if you dare come between me and my cubs i'll rip you apart and just that idea first of all we call god he but God is absolutely happy to give us metaphors of women to describe himself. And also, those metaphors are not stereotypes. There is the, the, You can either be that nurturing, caring, or that, that my love, I, I had to look that one up because I'd never read it before. But God is like a mummy bear. <laughs> it was great. Thank you, Matt. Matt, on, on that talk, you started by asking for a show of hands of those in the room who are happy to say men and women are different. Yeah, 90 90- Okay. And then you said, I want you to write down on a piece of paper how they're different, or even imagine what you're going to write down. And uh, I thought it was funny that we all thought, gulp, what do we say? And you've already clarified. The easy thing to say, the thing the Bible says is, you've been given a different body. That is the thing we're absolutely certain of. To be male is to have a male body. To be female is to have a female body. We're certain of that. Beyond that, crumbs, it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, Matt, what can a Christian parent keep in mind? I think bodies are quite useful, uh,
3: generally. I can give, explain a bit more on this if you want, but, but there's something about that the potentiality for fatherhood, the potentiality for, for motherhood. There's a sense in which um, men build a home, a woman is a home. I mean, literally, for nine months. There's something just about the way God has made bodies, which we're going to lean that way as well. Men to the sort of construction, we're going to conquer the earth. Women towards the, we're going to help you. You won't do it without us, but we're just going to make sure everyone's okay. And and there's something a little bit to that. Uh, Look, The world knows a lot of this stuff, right, and just sort of embarrassingly trips over its feet on it. So one of the intriguing things about the transgender movement, of course, is you you see it's demonstrated in sport, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, uh, male bodies, they're stronger than female bodies. Hey, look, this guy who's like number 500 in the world at swimming, he's now winning everything. Huh, they are just quite different, aren't they, male and female bodies? Yes. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you get in trouble even, for even asserting it. But like, come on, most of the country would say, yes, of course they're different. And okay, so what, what, what does that mean? And then you, you look through the Bible and Old Testament onwards to to protect is such a key element for men. So those who protect the household of God, the temple, the tabernacle, they're always men, and they're told to guard it. You'd expect men to guard and protect. So this language of God has made you, God has made you, you say you're a little boy, God has given you strength to protect, protect your sister. You don't fight in the playground because you're angry. The only reason you ever fight is to protect. That is very, very biblical. Uh, I think um, you'd expect that.
2: Jen, uh, as a mum of daughters, have you worked out where... A place or a few places where you feel there is a pinch you've already raised one um on the issue of feminism and what is good feminism are, are, are there pinch points
1: yes yeah, so i think this is again probably speaking into older girls rather than at the stage when mine were little i think what we were just talking about in terms of the roles that the bible ascribes to men and women particularly probably particularly within marriage and in church, in terms of leadership and submission. Women my age don't like to hear the word submission. So the girls' schools that are hearing that it's expected or a role to be a submitter rather than a leader, that just sounds horrendous. So having a good biblical understanding of why that is a beautiful thing rather than an offensive thing that's a hard conversation to have I think with a 40 year old woman let alone a 14 year old girl uh, because so much of the world the secular worldview, is that it's about individualism it's not necessarily about a partnership it's not about a community it's about being an individual and so sharing something of why choosing to submit is actually a beautiful thing to do because you're actually honouring the person that you are submitting to because you esteem them and absolutely trust that they have got your your interests above their own because we've got the model of Christ from the Bible showing us what that looks like because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church.
0: Hi, it's Amy from Faith in Kids here. You're doing really well. This is a big topic to wrap our heads around. We're going to head now for a short Q&A with Andrew Bunt, our guest from episode 97, and ask him to help us understand more on what the Bible says about living as men and women. Off you go with your scary question, Ed.
2: What does it mean to be a Christian boy or man? Apart from a body... Now, it's a big topic, but could you just give yeah, us a yeah, headline?
4: Yeah. yeah, it's big, it's complex and controversial. I mean, my, my personal position, what does it mean to to be a man or woman and to live as a man or woman? I think Genesis 1 shows us what does it mean to be a man or woman is to be given that identity by God in our bodies. So the way I think you see it in Genesis 1, you get Genesis one twenty seven, which talks about God creating humanity in his image. In his image, he made them male and female, he made them. And it's really important that in that verse, the, the two first things we were told about humanity, we created in God's image and we created male and female. God's image is put first, that's really important, unique about us as humans, speaks of the value, the worth that every human life has therefore asserts equality before anything else actually equality of men and women because we all bear the image of god and it's a given identity you don't have to do anything to become in the image of god you are in the image of god because god has made you that way that doesn't change that can't change and then in parallel with that the text places we're created male and female and that parallel is really important and helpful the image of god is a given identity well in the same way being male or female is a given identity In the same way, you don't have to act in a certain way to be in the image of God. You are in the image of God because God's made you that way. You don't have to act in a certain way to be male or female. You are male or female because God has given that to you. The question of course then becomes, well, how has he given that to you? And hopefully the very next verse, Genesis 1.28, explains that for us. Because Genesis 1.28 introduces that commission to um, rule over the world and subdue it, which comes in verse 26 as well. But the thing that's added new in verse 28 is the commission to be fruitful and multiply. What happens is you get male and female introduced, then you get the commission to be fruitful and multiply. Why is that suddenly introduced after male and female? Because what does it mean to male or female? It means you've got a body which is structured to play a certain part in reproduction. So in Scripture, male or female appearing, as it were, naturally flows into reproduction. Because how does God give us our identities, male or female? It's in the structuring of our bodies towards reproduction. So I think Genesis 1 makes the case and shows us that a biblical perspective is we're given our identity as a man or woman by God. And our bodies are the way that God kind of, as it were, communicates that to us. That's the kind of what does it mean to be a man or woman? The how then do you live as a man or woman is the more complicated, more controversial question. My personal answer, having wrestled with Scripture, the only two things I can see, I do think Scripture calls us to, as it were, externally present our biological sex. That actually in our clothing, our hairstyle, whatever, in the way that our culture will interpret, we're meant to present to the world who we are as a we go a man or woman, and we're not meant to just dece- seek to deceive people on that. There's like Deuteronomy 22, a prohibition on cross-dressing would indicate that. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, the very confusing passage about head coverings, which what all scholars at least do agree is Paul's very keen here on or, or is insisting on a clear distinction between the sexes. There's that perimeter. And then in some churches and some traditions, they would be deemed to be different roles than men and women in marriage or in church leadership. Different views across different church traditions. But crucially, for children and young people, we... It's not at all. Yeah, thing. that's not we relevant for them, exactly. And, so, and those are the only two parameters I can see in Scripture that are clear ways that men and women should live, live differently, um, which gives that wonderful freedom I'm talking about. So, I mean, given this identity, now actually I have wonderful freedom in how I live that out.
0: Amy again, thanks, Andrew. Listen, you've heard all of our guests talk about wrestling with this topic. Do email us at podcasts at faithinkids.org. Let us know your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Now let's head back to the conversation with Ed, Matt and Jen.
2: Jen, are there ways that this tendency to be different that, that Matt's talking, are there ways you see that worked out in boys and girls? Or
1: Yeah, so I can only obviously speak about my own experience, although I have friends with you know boys. But how boys and girls respond to pressure is different, I think. So, you know, friends who have boys, you know, when their children are stressed by friendships or expectations, or I think they go out and kick things or punch things. So the house gets damaged. Whereas I think for girls, absorbing pressure and responding to it, sadly, I think they hurt themselves. It's It's their way of responding to stress. So that is another way in which gender can kind of shape our response to a situation a girl will absorb stress and take it out on herself perhaps whereas a boy will punch something kick something it's um it's it's the way that we're another way of us being slight uh, different obviously not everybody's like that that's a generalization but,
3: that, but it is you know these you know, we are into the area of truisms okay I mean i think that's right you know we'd expect men to lean one way, women to lean If you think boys, boys have a higher... Uh, uh, have more muscle mass and a higher metabolism than girls, right? So they eat more, etc. It, it means why if they don't burn off their energy, they're irritable, you have to let boys run around more... Yeah, and they hit things. They, just, we, we know this.
2: So you know. Matt, if, you, if we took that one for an example, you and I both have sons. I can see anger in myself and I can see anger in my sons. So... There is an element, isn't there, that to be a, a father or mother of boys, we have to help them to work out what a godly response to that is. Yes. How do we do that?
3: I think it's making them aware. Look, you'll have strength. And, you know, anger rises up. Now, as a Christian, what do you, what do, you do? What do you do with that? We well, you use your strength to protect, and your anger, you don't take out on others. There's just helpful little things, little mantras you can pass on. And all these things, the world knows this. You know, Myers Briggs will tell you: on average, women are more communicative than men. Right? Every major social network, uh, Facebook, Insta, whatever, they all have a considerably higher percentage of female users than male users. On average, men are women are more communicative than men. So, okay, what do you say? The the little girl who, or the little girl, the teenage, probably more likely who who drifts into. Self-harm has become increasingly normalised. What what should biblically we expect, and even culturally we should expect, as, as, you've got to talk. Mm. You've got to talk. That would be helpful for men to do that, but also you've got to go and build something. <laughs> you've got to run. You've got to <laughs> smash. There's just, there's just something to that.
2: And, and so, Jen, obviously, as the mother of daughters, mm. could you just help us with that?
1: Yes and no, I can help you with that. I think Matt's saying... Uh, you need to talk. I, within the last, I don't know, 18 months, was walking with one of my, walking the dog with one of my girls because I was con- concerned about how she was doing in herself. And during that walk with her, was reminding her how precious she is to us as her parents, how. Wonderfully made she is, how she's unique and beautiful, and how she's been given amazing talents and gifts and skills, and that, you know, she's a wonderful human being. Do you know what my daughter said to me? She said, Mum, you have to say that because you're my parent. And so that truth didn't land with her because it was me as her parent saying that. And that's. Painful to hear as a parent that they don't believe you when you say those things because they think you're lying because you have to say it because you're their parent. But I think what, you know, hopefully the people listening to this podcast might have in their children's lives alongside them are godparents, our Sunday school teachers, our others in church, family who are connected with their children who. I would hope and pray are saying the same kind of things to their children. So, you know, my daughter listens to her godmother and her what, my, what her godmother says to her, she takes on board and believes. And we've also had the amazing privilege and benefit of my daughters reading the Bible one-to-one as they've been growing up, as they've been teenagers. Uh, and the young women that have read with them, uh, reminding them of who they are. And what their identity is. They hear other people. Um, and what's precious about what those other people speak in to their hearts and minds is that they will be hearing nasty stuff. Or, because as you were saying earlier on, women are good with communicating and language as a generalism. Well, that's also how women attack, how girls attack. It's with their words rather than with their fists, uh, so, if a girl is going to be spiteful, she will be spiteful with her words, and those words land in people's heart, in little, in you know, girls' hearts at school, uh, friendships, and or mean girls at school. You want uh, a godly, Christian older woman or sister or somebody speaking the truth to your daughter that has come home from school and heard that you know something horrible said to her.
3: It's the best proverb that's not in the Bible, isn't it? That um, it takes a village to raise a child. I mean, the concept is there biblically, of course. Uh, but I think one thing you realise is you get older as a parent is, I need help. Totally, <laughs> I mean, I totally, yeah. And the church family, uh, godparents, et cetera, you need you need those, you know, a 17-year-old, you're, it doesn't listen to me. Now, I, I do think you know, no matter on the walk you have with your daughter, she might say, well, you've got to say that, mum. I reckon it's still at least 30% of it slips through and does absorb, even if she knocks back the, um, totally. but you need others. You need, you need those five years older, 10 years older. They, they all have different impact or you're, 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 you know, 20 years older, but they're just different voices, but it does. It's the, it's a team game.
2: And the thing to draw out for this episode, I guess, is it's striking that it's a godmother who speaks to your daughter and it's young, young women who have met up to open the Bible with your daughters. Mm. Matt, in your sermon, you took us to 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, and you just drew out that that is gendered language.
3: Yes, it's fascinating. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, treat older people like this and treat younger people like this. There, There are four different things. You treat older men in this way, younger men like this, older women in this way, younger women like this. So there is a difference in how you treat younger men and younger women. There's a difference in how you treat older men and older women. You relate to them Differently. We respect with all of them. But um, oh, that's interesting. Paul expects that you treat a young woman different to a young man. And he expects that someone 20 years older than them, you don't just view them all as old people. But as older guys, you relate differently to older women. He expects that. And older women have different things to pass on. Now, Paul respects them all. You know, there's the beautiful thing in, in, um, in uh, Romans 16. It says Greek Rufus and his mother... Who was um, like a mother to me you know she looked after him you know gave him advice, respected his opinions he cherishes that this older woman who's not his mum but treats him he relates to her as an older woman, not as an older man
2: so matt presumably as, as a pastor of a church this is what you're constantly trying to release your people to be, trying to encourage everyone irrespective of their age to find who who are they a role model to and who are they looking to to be their role models within the church
3: yeah and i again there's the potentiality of fatherhood and motherhood I, I, it's a really simple thing okay you can say it to your kids no matter what age they are you know growing up it's great to be a father whether you have your own children or you seek to nurture the next generation it's great to be a mother you, you, you um, be a role model for and so yeah i, I, I was saying particularly to Slightly older end of church, you know. Who can you be a father to? Who can you be a mother to? In city centre, where everyone, you know, relationship, you know, lots of people from overseas, they're distant from their own family, and we have to be that for one another.
2: Matt, can I ask you? um, I guess a tricky question. Now, you've helped us see there are trends in people and in all the studies, as well as in the Bible. We we see trends. Can you just help us with the children? Who don't follow the trend?
3: Oh, yeah, so, and we must—we'd expect that. As I say, Paul, one Thessalonians two has motherly traits as well as fatherly. So, what we mustn't do is—I'm thinking GCSE maths—if you remember about that far. It, men and women, they're not a mutually exclusive set in terms of their character traits. Have I got that right? <laughs> I've got know. no idea. You We're know, like, talking yeah.
1: Venn diagrams. Venn diagrams, <laughs> You're yay!
3: Venn diagram. Love it, Venn. Venn diagrams. You know, you just think of here's a circle, men are like this, and here's a different circle, you know, miles apart, women are like this, and they're just completely different beings. No, it's much more like these bars on the recording. You think of a. a, a, a a chart a bar chart and at one end of the more male traits and at one end of the more female traits and but we're all somewhere in you know, if there are 20 different traits we all have we'll all be like a graphic equalizer can you remember such things uh <laughs> got it updated uh but you know there's no one way of being a man or one way of being a woman
2: and and just to be clear the bible allows for that
3: yes yes and, of course, it's one of the, the madnesses of the transgender movement is it sort of forces you into those exclusive, you know, men are like this, women are like this. What? My daughter likes pirates? Right, so well she must have a sex change then because I don't... What? No, don't be so mad. Some girls really like pirates. Some girls like playing rugby. That's OK. Uh, within all of the, you know, did we, we say this earlier? But within all this conversation, look, men will tend towards this, women will tend towards that. We'd expect that, yeah. But your kid, you just got to love your kid. And even, I mean, we haven't quite gone there, but you know, some would ask, oh, okay, if, if men are sort of lean towards leading, building, defending, and, and women lean towards nurturing, caring, are you saying that you know, a woman can't be a CEO or no? Not, not saying that at all. I think you'd expect biblically that they do the role differently. That how they lead is different. If you find yourself in
2: that role, I think you'd expect that. But you're not demanding it. No, you're asking people to work out how are they gifted. Yeah. What are they like? Uh, let's. I, I find this conversation with some of my friends who aren't Christians. The idea that I might have seen in my children that some have a gift for less academic subjects but they're brilliant carers i think i see some of my friends getting angry the idea that i would be encouraging that child who is more of a carer nurturer who happens to be a girl that i could imagine her professions in future life being more in those sorts of jobs the teachers the nursing the doctors people who have to care for others rather than i don't know rocket scientists and engineers but I used to be an engineer and I was surrounded by great women who were engineers. Yeah. Jen, as, as the mother of three daughters, what have been some of the guiding principles as you've been raising? I them? think
1: we've been looking at this recently, actually in um, Sunday school. I serve in the um, creche and we teach them from six months up to three in the, this term we're looking at God made me and the, Bible passage that inspired last week's session was, we looked at Psalm uh, 139 of God knowing us and creating us, making us, knowing us before we were even visible to our own parents that we're precious in his sight. And so I think as the mother of three girls, I don't think massively about their womanhood. Uh, It's not been something that I focus on particularly or speak into. I think where I'm encouraging them, I hope, is to remember that they are uniquely made by God. Part of that unique embodiment is being a woman and that that's something to be enjoyed. Not, It's not a second class citizenship. It's actually a being a woman is actually some a beautiful gift to be enjoyed. But, of course, you know, they're physically girls and so they don't always enjoy being a woman because there's a physicality that goes with that. But, yeah, I don't know, Psalm 139, I think. But that's relevant to boys and girls, to be honest. That God is uniquely made, each of them. And they're precious. Christ died for them, as they are. Warts and all. <laughs> uh,
2: and Matt, as the father of a son, uh, it, 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 what, what, is a, what is the guiding principle as you try to raise a man in your home? I
3: think we, we, we've always kept saying, look, men and women are different and they're both equally valuable. Now, as a guy, as a boy, you have the strength and I, would, I mean, this, I know I'm being simplistic now, but you have a strength and you must use it to protect. And this comes up, you know, it comes up pretty naturally over a year ago now, the murder of Sarah Everard and the, and the sort of wall-to-wall media coverage that that produced. And of course, for, for, you know, in a church with lots of 20-something girls, they were distraught. Why? Oh, we've been raised to think we're equal with men. And all of a sudden we realise in this one arena, physical strength, we're not. And But just talking to our son you do have a strength you must use it to protect uh, and not just as in fight off you know an attacker but in your sense of humor boys banter in a really aggressive way that can be quite distressing actually for some women you know you use your humor to protect you use your words to protect when you see sexual low level sexual abuse you know the oh, know. you know you step in and say i don't think she wants that but you protect and and learn that even at a low level you, you there's a cost to protecting but that's what we do
2: I'm really grateful to the both of you for your help I'm grateful that you were willing to do this podcast when you both wish someone else would <laughs> Jen would you pray for the parents who are listening mm, as they raise their sons and daughters
1: Our loving Heavenly Father we thank you that you are the Sovereign Lord of all. And uh, as we were thinking about a minute ago, you created each of us as your precious children and you have entrusted to those listening uh, to this podcast. um, You've entrusted to them, children, to raise and uh, to know and love you and to know and love your word and to believe it as good and truth and... um, that your word is there to enable us to flourish in your word world. And where there are um, worldly voices that would say different about what it means to be a man or a woman, would the precious treasure uh, that you give us in your word about what it means to be a man or a woman and the roles that go with that help uh, the parents listening to this podcast, help me, help us to. Um, reflect something of the beauty of your teaching in this area to our families Lord it's not easy to do we need your strength each day to be doing that so give us each day our daily bread in terms of knowing how best to do that Uh, Lord we're going to make lots of mistakes but thankfully you are sovereign over all these things and you will be doing even through our mistakes uh, you work through those for your good purposes, to train us and to train our children. We so need your help to do this. Please give it, we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. There are three things we love receiving from our listeners. The first is we love receiving your emails. Uh, Tell us what you thought. Tell us where you disagreed. Tell us what the next questions you have are. We, We note them. We try to do them. We try to Decide what the next podcast need to be based on what we hear is needed. Podcast at faithinkids.org. We love receiving your prayers because these podcasts are difficult and slightly frightening as we wonder what people will make of them. Do pray that people hear them as we intend them to be, which is uh, to support parents, to raise their children and to do to trust Christ with them. And thirdly, we do love receiving uh, financial support. Uh, We exist almost entirely from individual donations. We do get some money from trusts and we do get some money from churches, but the huge majority of what we receive is from individuals who choose to support what we do and we try to give away what we do for free, like these podcasts. Thanks very much for joining us. Keep listening to the Who Am I podcasts. We want to support you to raise your children to know who they are in Christ. Bye-bye.